Hey, welcome back, everybody. Man, it's been a long time since we've done one of these uh, originally. I know we've been recycling some old content for the last six months or so, and boy, a lot's changed in my life, and I'm not going to get into that now, but it sure has been enjoyable, and what a fun ride, and I'm glad to be back doing Noggin Notes, uh, you know, originally now, because I'm excited. I like having these conversations. I'm I enjoy learning. I hope you guys enjoy learning. I'm pretty sure you do. And today's podcast should be no different. I interview Kevin Sabat, who is a real dynamo in the world of cannabis use and policymaking. He's got an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. SAM is the acronym. And you can go to learnaboutsam.org to find out more about him and his organization. But it's, it's just that. It's Smart Approaches to Marijuana. This is not a show where we bag on cannabis use and trash talk it or anything like that. It's, it's about getting good information out because there's a lot lacking. And I think we do a decent enough job covering that. And we're not supposed to be alarmist. That's, that's again, not the point. It's to bring new information to those who may be interested. So I really hope you enjoy it. Kevin Sabet is awesome, and I look forward to more of his work and his research. Um, also, if you haven't checked out or if you didn't know that we have two new podcasts under the Naga Notes umbrella, there's Naga Notes Cambodia and Naga Notes Africa. And I don't really care if you're not from those regions, but I think you should check them out because the content is rich and it's evergreen. And I think irrespective of culture or demography or location, I think you will learn something. So if you listen to uh, Chris Kiala, who um, does the the hosting in Africa, or if you listen to um, Peach Moni, who does the, uh, the hosting in Cambodia, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm I'm a big fan. Obviously, I'm tied to the to the family here, but um, some people don't know that we have you know truly three international podcasts now under the Noggin Notes umbrella. So check those out. Um, as always, brought to you by Zephyr Wellness, a company that I own here in Northern Nevada, and I'm very proud that we're produ- providing the services that we do to augment people's mental wellness, mental fitness, mental well being. And uh, if you want to learn more, check out ZephyrWellness.org. Also, if you want to take a free and anonymous mental health quiz, you can uh, screen yourself, if you will, at WTTA.org slash love. Walk the Talk America is an organization I'm also a part of that's bridging the gap between firearms ownership and mental health care. So if you want to get a free and anonymous mental health screening, go to WTTA.org slash love. The same screenings are available through the Zephyr Wellness website as well if you just click on screening. So that all being said, we are glad to have you. Thank you again for downloading our content. Please give us a rating and a review. If you like our content, uh, rate us highly. If you don't, just well, you know, keep your opinion to yourself, I guess. Um, but also, if you do like what we're saying, please share it with others because our goal here is just to help people increase their own mental health so that we can have a healthy, happy, functioning community wherever we live and uh, in whatever avenue we do the work that we do. Thanks again. Enjoy this interview with Kevin Sabet. I think you will enjoy it. Well, it's been a long time. I took a hiatus from Noggin Notes, and um, I haven't recorded anything since like April of this year, and it's now late October, mid-October. And um, It's been kind of nice, but uh, I missed it. And I think it's a great... Uh, welcome back to have somebody of your integrity and reputation on our show, because I'm very excited and it's uh, it's a nice welcome back into the the new season, I guess, if you will. 
of Noggin Notes. So with us is uh, Dr. Kevin Sabet. Um, you hold many titles and degrees and certificates and all sorts of, um, you know, long resumes uh, or resume entries, I should say. But I think what's really important is that you are one of the forefront people who's um, really taken the charge to push back against cannabis, like, I guess, unscrupulous or unregulated cannabis use in America. And you have also worked for, what is it, four presidents? You were an advisor on three, three presidents and the, I'm not that old. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Adding more gray hairs. But the, uh, is it the ONDCP, right? Yes. For those yeah. of you who aren't familiar with the inside baseball acronyms, it's the office of national drug control policy. Uh, so Kevin joins us to talk about marijuana and, um, and his, uh, organization, smart approaches to marijuana. And I'll let you continue from there. That's uh, the best that I can tee it up and, um, uh, feel free well, to take off. Yeah. Thanks Jake. Appreciate it. I really appreciate the work you do. And, uh, your voice uh, is so important, and and you know I know many people um, listen to you, so it's a privilege to be on the new season here. I'm not going to notes for the for the podcast. Yeah, you know I um, I served in a couple different presidential administrations, and the last one was in the Obama administration until 2011. And, I, and I'm nonpartisan. I don't think that these issues of addiction, mental health need to be partisan at all. They shouldn't be, uh, although they increasingly are, which is too bad. Um, but um, I left be- mainly because I saw this wave of normalization of today's very, very highly potent marijuana, because it's not the marijuana of the past at all. Um, and I didn't really see a lot of groups that were you know, trying to push back on that or really prominent voices. And when I talked to individual scientists and politicians on both sides of the aisle, they all really told me, God, I wish someone would do something. I wish someone could. And the reason they couldn't, they all had reasons why they couldn't and whether they were real excuses or not, but you know, they were politicians, they were dealing with other issues. Um, some, some people in the prevention field and mental health field felt that their funding would be pulled. It was becoming controversial. Um, and they just, they said, someone needs to step up. So Patrick Kennedy, the former Congressman who had been in recovery then a, a couple of years, and he had a very public, you know, um, you know, sort of outing of his addiction and mental health issues, you know, when he was a member of Congress, he had since, you know, entered recovery and he got married and we were talking about this issue. And the day after Colorado voted to legalize marijuana, we said, you know, we got to step up and do something. And a few months later, Sam was born. And interestingly enough, uh, it was sort of born by accident because <laughs> two months after we first talked about the, the issue, Patrick said, well, I'm going to be in Colorado in January, Kevin. Uh, why don't we just go to the press club and see if anyone shows up and talk about pot? And I said, OK. And I thought no one would show up. No one would care. And we had, you know, Associated Press, Reuters, USA Today, The New York Times. And we had everybody there. The legalizers were protesting us. I mean, it was a mitigated success. And that was eight years ago. And we've been on kind of a wild ride since then of trying to educate people on you know, today's marijuana and this industry that essentially relies on addiction for profit and is all about money. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot these last eight years. You know, I, I caught something early in the beginning there when you were talking about um, someone must do something and uh, it's not your uh, it's, it's not the, the marijuana of yesteryear. And I've heard that many times. And I think I know what you mean, but for the listening audience, tell them what you do mean when you say today's pot is not yesterday's pot. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we've become better farmers in this country. And so we have learned to genetically breed marijuana plants. Marijuana is ultimately a plant. It's just a very different plant than, than what it was, you know, thousands of years ago. We have changed the, the chemistry of the plant, essentially, by increasing the element in the plant that gets you high, that attaches to brain receptors and receptors all over your body that exist as well. Now, is that, um, that that's, produces, that's the THC, right? That we're that's a, about? And that's the THC. And that's the THC. Absolutely. Because there, there are marijuana is like a very complex plant, unlike opium or coca. It has hundreds of components in it. Um, some act on the brain, some don't. We're still trying to understand 95% of them, what they do. We have no idea. Uh, THC is the one we know most about. And that is the one that attaches to the receptors. And that is what makes you high. And we've genetically bred marijuana to increase those THC levels to levels we've absolutely never seen before. And have frankly, barely even been studied. And so that's why when we see at a pot shop, you know, 90% THC waxes, that is the that is the THC derived from a plant that's you know put into an oil uh, concentration, and that is a level that we've never seen because after THC, you know, at Woodstock days were four to five percent, and, and that's what people were using uh, regularly. Now, you know, they're using marijuana that is on average fifteen percent or more, and can get up to ninety nine percent in these crystals and waxes. And so it's basically a completely different drug, and I don't I think that. You know, that's often lost on the American people, I think. We've genetically bred them to be increased. We're seeing now up to 99% THC in, you know, in these stores. Um, we've never seen that before. Okay, so what I'm hearing here is an amalgamation of problems. We've got, we've got the plants being genetically modified to be more potent and deliver more pop. Um, we have a lack of research about what is even in the plant. The part that we do know that's in the plant that's psychoactive and that acts in your brain, we know very little about, but that's the one that we're enhancing. And yeah. oh, by the way, we're pulling this stuff out and extra concentrating it on top of the concentration of the plant. So all this, I mean, sounds to my ears like a recipe for disaster for the um, otherwise uninformed public. And I, and I would say that not tongue in cheek. I, th- I think we truly are, are not well informed because even for as much as I work in this field and as many friends as I've had who have smoked marijuana over the years. And, um, and I've certainly, I did it in college a couple of times and, you know, it was fun or whatever, but I, I don't know anything, right. I don't, I don't know anything. And I think I'm probably more savvy than 90% yeah. of people out there, which is frightening yeah. to me, especially when we start getting into the, into the children, and how yeah. these things are marketed. And I do want to touch on that, but but not right now. What I want to focus on right now is um, some of the research that I know you and uh, Dr. Kenneth Finn, who uh, is mm. another, you know, kind of, uh, you know, flag carrier in, yeah. in your realm have done. I want to hear about some of the some of the studies, some of the the preliminary findings that are coming out, uh, maybe, maybe they're not necessarily uh, empirically based, but we're seeing like survey data. Uh, from what's going on in these states that have legalized quote unquote or decriminalized and how it stacks up in comparison to overdoses of other drugs and some of the correlative data that you've, you guys have pulled, because it sounds like as the, the market has 
basically modified this plant the way that like we did with tobacco, right? Tobacco has been around for like 40,000 years and people have been using it, but only in the last century have we been killing people. Yeah. Right. So, so I right. sense the same thing is going on with marijuana as the, as that marketing has taken off. And as the, the, the big corporate dynamics have influenced this trade, what are we seeing with the lay people using it? The, the, the overdoses, the, 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 the drug to drug interactions, that kind of stuff. Well, we're seeing a lot. First of all, we're in an unprecedented, uh, obviously, overdose epidemic, and we are, you know, at the same time, have unprecedented levels of marijuana prevalence, and not just prevalence, but intensity. And what I mean by intensity is the amount the average user is using in a day. It's way more than it used to be, uh, and it's, it's significantly higher. And so we we now have almost 15 million Americans who admit to using marijuana daily, and they're not using 5% THC. They're using the 90% THC. So, you know, we... W- so we're at unprecedented levels and we're seeing unprecedented levels of overdose. You've seen the industry push this line that, well, if we legalize marijuana, fewer people will overdose because they'll use pot instead of opioids. And isn't that better? Well, that's not happening. They're using them together. They're using oh. these drugs together. Bad. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yes. That's oh. bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I was like, no. For the, for the for the audience, we've been having some technical issues, and, and when I said "oh," Kevin was like, "Was that bad?" Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, but in a different way. Sorry, uh, we don't mean to laugh about the serious subjects. Uh, no, 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 no. Did I? So I broke up. Is that why you said "oh" or no, you said it? No, not story? at all. I'm saying I'm saying it's oh, bad okay. that people are using these drugs together. Oh, good, thank God. Crazy. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, thank, okay, good. Uh, not not good, obviously, but but yes. So you know, so, <laughs> we have derailed. So, it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, so yeah, but 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 in reality, they're using these drugs together. They're not substitutes, and so you know. <laughs> There are a handful of researchers, when I say a handful, I mean like two or three that have produced some bogus studies showing, oh, look, in medical marijuana states, fewer people are dying of overdose. Well, the studies are limited by time. They stop them, you know, the year that it legalizes. I mean, there's so many problems with their Koch brothers oh. funded, uh, you know, th- there are all these issues. And so the reality is folks are using, are more likely to use opioids when they use marijuana and other drugs. And it doesn't mean that it's always a gateway drug. I'm not trying to say that you know, marijuana is a gateway for everyone that uses it or that everyone who uses marijuana goes and uses opioids at the same time. Of course not. That is, of course, not the case. But you are more likely to, especially when you're using um, opioids, you are much more likely to be using marijuana than not. And we have been seeing that in state after state. Um, The other thing we're seeing in state after state is emergency room mentions and calls to poison centers. Why? Because people are having psychotic breaks. They're having, um, they're having major mental health, mental illness episodes. They, and, and so major that they have to go to the hospital, uh, a friend or themselves, they bring themselves to the hospital because of what they're feeling. And we are seeing that induced by today's very, very highly potent THC. And so these are all things that I wish people could understand more. We could monitor, but frankly, listen, Hey, we're, we still have 400,000 people dying of tobacco, of cigarettes. We still have 100,000 dying of alcohol. And yet we seem to normalize those still in society in one way or another. So on the one hand, it's surprising. On the other hand, it's not very surprising when you have an industry that downplays the harms and keeps pushing how great these substances are. 
Yeah, I, I want to get a little more granular here because uh, some of the stuff. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. Um, sure. You and I are on the same page, of course, but but I want to no, take no, the please. other side for a moment because some yes. of the stuff that I see in your Twitter interactions is um, <laughs> a lot of yes butting, right? Yes, but mm-hmm. no one actually dies from weed. Yes, but right. um, it's it's just a bad trip or it's a right. phraseology, but you get what I'm saying. So how do we push back on this narrative that says, Oh, it's okay that you had a, you know, you went briefly psychotic on this, uh, you know, when you were dabbing, uh, because you're 16 years old, or even if you're 26 years old, um, but that's okay. Cause you lived no big deal, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How do, how do we push back on those, those people who are just the, the hundred percent apologists who, who just refuse to come to the center and see anything but their rah rah advocacy, right? Um, and maybe maybe we don't change those minds, but at least we can ameliorate some of the impact they have on otherwise neutral minds who may be sucked into that uh, misinformation. Well, I mean, it's just like saying, you know, oh, I drove ninety five miles an hour on the freeway yesterday and I was fine. So, Great analogy. yeah, okay. you, you know, yeah, uh, drive speeding over five to ten miles over the speed limit increases your crash rate by you know two point two, but frankly, I went, went 90, Kevin, and I'm, I'm just fine. Well, that's not a reason to do it. Or I didn't look today when I crossed the street, I forgot to look both ways and I did it and I, and I crossed the street, I'm living and I'm fine. Well, congratulations, but we know what things increase or decrease your risk of a bad outcome. And again, I'm not saying that everyone who uses is going to have a bad outcome. Frankly, I'm not saying that anyone who uses any drug is going to have a bad outcome necessarily, but they increase the risk for a bad outcome. And now with the case of marijuana, given the potency, a really bad outcome, like, you know, an IQ drop of eight points. If you're a teenager using three to four days a week for three to four years of your teenage, late teenage years, an IQ drop of eight points, Jake, is brings you from an average student to a below average student. It's millions of dollars of lifetime income loss. It's a huge deal. And the fact that you are significantly increasing your risk of that reduction in IQ, that's something that people should know at the very least. And again, unfortunately, um, a lot of people don't know that. They deny it. They say, well, it helped my granny when she was 90 with her arthritis. Again, good. I'm glad it did. But that's, that's not, that is not getting to the point of how this is impacting people uh, across the country. That IQ drop uh, that you mentioned, that was a pretty substantial longitudinal study done where New Zealand? Yeah, it was looking at, so New Zealand tracks, they have a a study out in the Dunedin, which is a city where they're tracking thousands and thousands of kids about a lot of different things. This wasn't a study about marijuana. This was a study about just childhood and adolescent experiences. And so you're able to, you know, frankly, look at whatever outcomes you want to look at and test them. And this has been um, it caused a lot of stir. People tried to denounce it, um, but every time they did, there was like, well, you know, for example, there was a there was a researcher in Norway who said, no, 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 this is wrong. How can you know that this can't be? Um, you didn't control for socioeconomic factors, and they actually did control for socioeconomic oh, factors, wow. and they did control for other factors. And then he said, well, no, 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 no. Uh, we don't see this as much in rat you know, in, in, in rats and in mice. And then it's like, well, actually when it was replicated in animals and when it was seen that we do see cognitive declines in animals. And by the way, animals don't have socioeconomic factors. So right. it's even more showing that it's actually, this is the case. again, that doesn't mean that if you do it, you're definitely going to lose eight IQ points. There are plenty of extremely intelligent people who probably used a good amount of marijuana in their high school years. I'm not saying that, but 
again, it increases your risk of these things to happen. And again, I don't think we, we really kind of understand that at all. We're uh, having, uh, uh, I think we're, we're living in a time that's kind of special and I don't, I don't say that glib at all. Uh, the, the, what the yeah. pandemic has done for better or for worse is it's made a bunch of armchair uh, statisticians yeah. and, um, <laughs> and evaluators yeah. and researchers, which has both good and bad uh, attributes to it. Some of the, the positives are that more people are getting more savvy about how to read research, which is great. Um, then you get people who don't know what they're reading and, and or can fall victim to talking points. And or just jump to the you know the the summary at the end of the paper and draw their their conclusions from that. Mm-hmm. But um, I what I'd like you to do is explain risk analysis, risk benefit. And when you say the risk increases, that mm-hmm. I think that's a two years ago even before pandemic, we had uh, a culture and a society where we where we more or less implicitly trusted the white coated people to mm-hmm. give us things and draw conclusions for us because we don't want to go look through the, the volumes and volumes of data and, and research, right? And look at P-values right. and all that stuff. Right. But now everybody's suspicious, everybody's skeptical, and there's very, very good reasons for, for being suspicious and skeptical. But how do we get the message across that you can be trusted when you say the risk increases? Yeah. It's not just, oh, it's a, it's a 2% risk increase or no. it's a 7%. Yeah. How, do we, how do we communicate this a little more precisely to say, Stop driving 95, you know, to continue right. the metaphor. Um, and how do we quantify this for people who may go, you know what? I, I didn't, I don't trust what's coming out of .gov. I don't, why should I trust you? Um, help us, help us trust you. Help us trust this research that is invariably going to hurt our children and possibly even hurt us as adults along the way. Well, what I tell high school students and I, and I love talking to schools, I uh, haven't in a while, obviously, but when I, when I do go to schools, um, you know, look, I, I understand there's a very skeptical audience. There's an audience that is they're also very savvy. Like you said, they have the information highway on the tip of their you know, fingertips with, you know, everything that they could want to find. They're reading Reddit, they're reading Wikipedia. What I tell them is don't take my word for it. Please don't validate what I say and what other people say. Val- if you validate what I say and validate what some random dude you know, posting from his mom's basement on Reddit says on some subreddit on pot as well. How do you validate it? Well, go to trusted sources. You know, we have institutions that we can trust. Go to the National Institutes of Health. Read the report, for example, in 2016, 2017, that came out about marijuana. Go to National Academy of Medicine. Go to the Centers for Disease Control. It's amazing how many people will listen to some of these authorities when it comes to, you know, things like the pandemic. And yet when it comes to things, marijuana, completely disregard it. (laughs) So, you know, let's be consistent. Uh, Read what these institutions are saying, read the published research and and don't take my, that's what I say on the macro level, on the micro level, you know, when I'm trying to explain like a study that says, well, this is, you're significantly more likely, you know, you're 2.5 times more likely, for example, it's like, listen, um, you know, if, it's if you if you for example were a marijuana user and we were testing your IQ, well, it would mean that you know for every two times for every two people that had a reduction in IQ, the marijuana users, if we're, let's say if we're talking two and a half times, the marijuana user, uh, so five of them would have the loss in IQ. So four non-marijuana users loss of IQ, ten mar- marijuana users loss of IQ. It's hard to explain this, I think, to, to a lot of folks, but again, I try and get people to just 
again, not take my word for it. Go, go read trusted sources, not some random person on some web page and understand that essentially they're being lied to. They're being lied to by an industry who sees their brains as dollar signs. And that's what I tell young people. Their brains are dollar signs. Why? Because your brains are developing. You make really dumb decisions often as a teenager. And I hate, I know teenagers hate to hear that, but on the other hand, you know, think of it as an excuse. Like, sorry, I, you know, hit, hit the car, mom. My brain isn't fully developed. I wish I actually had that excuse when I was young. That would <laughs> serve me well. Um, but it's true. I mean, this is where it is very true because your brain is molding and becoming, you know, much more stable after age 25 or now we're saying even 30, I think. So, you know, we have to be able to communicate it in that way, I think, because you're right. There's people have access to information. They're skeptical. I mean, with marijuana, they're just extremely skeptical. Uh, and, and we have to understand that we have to meet, sometimes we have to really meet people where they're at on it. So I don't start out with like, you know, marijuana is going to make you a dropout and you're going to, you, you're five times more likely to use heroin than if you never use, I don't start out like that. I start out kind of slowly. And then I build up to some of the more, because honestly, Jake, some of the research out there, it literally, it is scary on its face. I mean, I get scared reading the research on mental illness, on psychosis and mm -hmm. schizophrenia, which is, you know, as I don't have to tell you how, how devastating that can be to a person and a family and how long lasting and how impactful that can be. When I see some of these studies, for example, coming out of London, looking out of um, South London, uh, yeah, the mental health clinic, and you see the correlations with heavy marijuana use, um, it's, it is downright scary. And so you have to kind of start out, I think, slowly and then build up. Yeah. The, for the, for the audience, there's a couple of words in our, our field that we use correlative and causal. Yeah. So correlated yes. means that if you look at two sets of data and they seem to walk together, they, they could be correlated, right? It does not necessarily mean that mm -hmm. one causes the other. And so we want right. to be careful to, to say that, you know, something yes. causes something else. However, I can validate that with some uh, information locally. It's it's anecdotal, but it's out of a clinic in Carson City that is designed to treat first episode psychosis. And mm -hmm. these are usually young people. Um, very infrequently, you get somebody in their late twenties mm -hmm. or thirties, but usually it's it's adolescents and early twenties. You know, the, the young adults. And um, I, w I had the privilege of participating in what's what's called a Project Echo, and uh, we actually did an episode about Project Echo and Naga Notes mm. some time ago. But what it is is a telehealth consultation group, and we do it for all sorts of things out of the University of Nevada. It actually started in New Mexico. But um, we cover all, all sorts of topics from diabetics to geriatrics to um, first episode psychosis, for example. Um, so this uh, this clinic in Carson City that's uh, housed in a hospital, all the cases we staffed, every single one of them had some sort of cannabis use associated. So you go, man, that looks like it causes it. And to your point, um, not everybody who uses marijuana has a psychotic break or a psychotic episode. So we don't want to say it causes it, but we can say it's highly correlated. And, and that's the point that we're driving to. It's like, why roll the dice? If you're a young person developing your brain, um, feed yourself yeah. healthy. You know, it's like our, our lungs weren't designed to ingest smoke anyway. Um, our bodies weren't no. designed to ingest psychoactive substances. So, you know, if you're going to try this, at least wait till you're in your late twenties, you know, when you're yeah. fully developed and you're not messing with the developmental process. Um, 
But I want to touch on something too that you're you're not a prohibitionist, um, and no. I think that that we need to draw that line very very starkly and clearly that you're not advocating for prohibition of all these substances. You're you're advocating for smart approaches to their usage. Yeah. For for example, there is some again very good research that shows that cannabis use is very beneficial for people struggling with all sorts of disorders, whether they be physiological or psychological. Talk a little bit about the the advantages to medical, and I truly mean medical, not just the green plus on the side of the building, but yeah. you know, well-rooted, well-researched, um, yeah. doctor-prescribed yes. uh, applications. Yeah. Well, good question. So to me, medicine means a doctor actually prescribed it and you have a specific ailment, a reason to take it. And it could be palliative, meaning you know, for sort of some of the side effects of something, or it could get to the core of the, of the illness that you have. And we do know that there are elements in marijuana that for specific um, things that have been helpful and actually are FDA approved. For example, CBD, which is a element in marijuana that was is mainly bred out of marijuana because it doesn't get you high. But if you grow CBD rich plants and you derive, um, you know, a certain formulation, there's something called uh, Epidiolex, which is used for, you know, some proportion, not a large proportion, but some proportion of children with uncontrollable epilepsy that do not respond to traditional medications. Most kids respond to traditional medications, but some do not. And this has been helpful for those that do not. Uh, we know that a THC synthetic uh, could be helpful for those with um, very specific kind of cancer pain. And I will say that it's not a frontline medicine. It's not something that, that like that's the first thing that the doctor reaches for, but it is something that could be tried. And of course, because marijuana gets you high, it's also not surprising that some people with other ailments will say, listen, I feel a lot better at the time I'm taking it. What I worry about is when someone, especially younger with mental health issues says, oh, this feels, makes me feel a lot less anxious. And it makes me stop my, you know, I don't have my, my, my uh, nightmares anymore from war and I don't have, you know, these issues. And so it helps me a lot with my PTSD, for example. My worry there is when you look at the long-term effects of some of this use, it can be very detrimental, even if in the short term, it feels good. So it, you know, it's very nuanced. Some of it can be very nuanced, but I have absolutely no problem with marijuana or any other drug-based medications that are truly medications, have gone through studies, and are being used for that purpose. And I actually happen to think, and this may surprise some of the legalizers out there listening, I happen to think that there are other elements of marijuana that we're only starting to learn about, CBN, uh, THCA, other things that could be used for different um, medical, truly medical reasons. And we should allow that to happen. But that is very different than, like you said, throwing up a green cross, having a guy with a GED who just smoked weed his whole life, trying to tell somebody, you know, this is good for your X disease or illness. That to me is not medicine, that's snake oil, but there is legitimate medicine and we should continue to research it and get it out. What is the cannabinoid system or the cannabinoid receptor system that, that I hear about that the CBD um, treats or hits or augments? So in your body, you have, you, we produce an andamide, we produce a natural chemical that makes you feel something similar to what the THC would make you feel. 
Um, and so we have a system, and, and so we can call it an endocannabinoid system, which means there are receptors all over your body and, uh, and in your brain, different parts of your brain, but not all parts of your brain, but different parts of your brain. Thank God, not in the brainstem, which controls breathing, because we have a lot of opio opioid mu receptors there, which that's what produces the overdose right there. And that's what Narcan works against right there in your brainstem. We don't have those there, thank God, for, for marijuana. But we have them in different parts, cognition, immune system, reproductive, um, you know, uh, the addiction system of your brain. Unfortunately, marijuana also can, has, uh, you know, we have receptors and that's reward and memory, which is essentially what addiction is. It's, it's something you really like doing. You remember you do it. You want to do it again. You want that feeling. You, you go back to it regardless of the consequences. That that's essentially could be addiction. And, um, and all over your body. And so when you ingest THC at the very least, because CBD does it in, we think, a different way. But when we ingest THC, it binds to these receptors in the different parts of your brain and body, and it produces different results. And of course, everybody is different. Everybody's physiology. I mean, yes, there's a common physiology. Our brain structures have, you know, are the same in terms of, you know, where, um, you know, how our brains are put together. Like our, you know, our prefrontal cortex is in the same place for everybody, right? It's not like in different places, but in terms of the number of receptors and what's going on in your, in your brain and body, it's different for everybody. And so we don't know. That's why, you know, there's some people who smoke a cigarette and they really like want to just keep going. They, they can't stop. They love it. They love it. And they want to keep going. And other people I've known, you know, especially in the nineties when this was more common would smoke a cigarette only, you know, at dinner on a Friday night and they'd have one after dinner and they'd be done. Um, and they would not crave it anymore. And so everybody's bodies of course are different. And we don't really know. We know that if you have a history of mental illness and addiction in your family, you're much more likely to be somebody who really loves it. And that's what's unfortunate about it. But but we really don't know. And that's why in some ways it's a game of Russian roulette, because maybe you're one of those people that can handle it. And by the way, everyone wants to think that they are those people. This is part of the problem. Right. Um, just like every every alcoholic says, I can stop whenever I want. I'm not right. an alcoholic. Um, so we have to be very, very careful. So... When we're talking about this and we're, we're talking about this uh, endocannabinoid system, um, I've heard tons of testimony uh, from from good friends, relatives who say, yeah, it, it's great. Uh, I'm, I'm clearer minded it, and they treat CBD like um, like a vitamin supplement. Yeah. Is yeah. there is there truth to that? Well, uh, I personally think the CBD that's out there right now is one of the best examples of a placebo that I've seen. And, and actually studies have shown that. Let me tell you why. The CBD that's out there right now is basically legalized two years ago in the national federal farm bill, which allows folks to grow CBD rich hemp plants. Okay. Hemp is a cousin of marijuana, CBD rich hemp plants. Those CBD rich hemp plants have very, are apparently supposed to have trace amounts of THC and high amounts of CBD. And then they derive the CBD from that. And they have, you know, these oils and liquids and everything you see at the mall, it's everywhere, right? Um, when the FDA has looked at a lot of these CBD products, surprise, surprise, they have found that they have many, many other things in the product, um, including high levels of THC. So it's not, I say buyer beware. If you think it helps you, good for you. But studies that, have, that are out there actually show it is largely could be a placebo effect. Again, we're still learning about it. I'm not saying that's the final judgment, but I am extremely skeptical of the wild, wild claims that this 
multi-billion dollar CBD industry that has found itself in spas and wellness and high-end hotels and, and malls and 7-Elevens and convenience stores, I am extremely, and supermarkets, uh, skeptical of the claims that they're making. But again, if you rub some you know, CBD cream on your knee and you think it's good, well, good for you. But I will tell you, CBD penetrating the, the skin layer is extremely rare and very, very difficult to do. But, you know, hey, more power to you. I mean, if that's if you think it helps you. Yeah. And I, I, I drew the same kind of skepticism from that because along the same line, I was also learning that there are like any uh, product, I'm sure there's high grade and low grade stuff. And sure. if you're buying it at 7-Eleven, it's probably low grade. And if you're buying it from the website that only does this thing, it's probably a little higher grade, just like, I don't know, uh, essential oils or something. And I kind of chalked it up to that category. It's like, well, do they, do they have some natural beneficial properties? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, a lot of cultures have been doing what we would now call in, you know, the Western world alternative medicine for millennia. So probably there's some truth to it. And then also there's the charlatans and, and I'm glad you touched on the it's it's not the first time it's like the sixth or seventh time you've mentioned the the <laughs> magnitude of the industry and i yeah. think that's that's what we're starting to wake up to is that there's there's a tons of tons of dollars behind this stuff and it's not always uh for for public benefit right it's for some private profiteer, profiteering purpose yeah. which has led people to be vaccine hesitant when it comes to the mRNA vaccines for COVID, right? So it's, it's all kind of in the same umbrella and I can, I can really be, you know, empathetic and understanding to, to why people would not want to indulge something. And at the same time want to, because they see the benefits from it. Talk about the, the marketing. I know I mentioned that super early on. Um, How is this being marketed? uh, Even though the the industry claims they're not targeting kids. They really are with the gummies and the packaging and the bright colors and the flavors and all that stuff. The vape. I mean, we'll get into vape in a moment, I'm sure. But talk about the the industry. Talk about how Altria and Philip Morris and these people started yeah. to sniff it out, not because they're super benevolent, but because they're sniffing a buck. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what we're seeing completely. This, you know, this cultural move towards you know, accepting marijuana, which has happened over the, really over the last 10 years. And it happened um, really since we allowed states to legalize and, and since this industry started in the medical side and then have, have, has gone to the recreational side. And again, medical, I use very loosely, I'll say faux medical or another term I like is medical excuse um, side. Um, but because uh, uh, it's not the real medical side. The real medical side is, you know, goes to the FDA, not 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 through a dispensary on their corner of the mm-hmm. street. Uh, and and so they smell money. And you, of course, the big players smell money. Of course, the big players are the ones that um, you know want to get in there because they are they they have scale. They're able to do it. I'm talking about the tobacco companies mainly, and by the way, alcohol, big alcohol. So we've seen how, you know, Philip Morris, Altria, many other imperial brands, which is a huge fifth largest brand in the world, and, and others are investing billions, billions and billions into the marijuana industry. They have the, the, the fields. They have ways to process it. This is a great product pivot because a lot of people have rejected smoking. I mean, how many kids do you know who's, who look at a cigarette and think it's gross and they look at marijuana and they think it's cool? 
there's a complete cognitive right there's a cognitive dissonance totally and we we push that as a society as well we won't allow smoking by our celebrities uh, in public or 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 hollywood but we'll allow marijuana use it makes no sense um and so we're seeing the same the same film that that happened and we know the way it ends you know 180 to 100 years ago with tobacco start we're seeing that now with marijuana and it's because these companies see it we see it with amazon trying to be cool now saying we will hire you please marijuana smokers apply apply here you will not get tested we'll hire you i mean good luck with your productivity by the way at work good luck with the absenteeism (laughs) issue good luck with all of that but they're doing it because it's the cool thing to do right now and it's also you know we have a very tight labor force and they're saying well they need to attract people they're going to go all in they're going to double down uh and again this is all about the mighty buck so I just think people need to be very skeptical. Now, listen, I understand that everything is about the mighty buck in this country. And that's what a lot of what's made our country great. I mean, the reasons we have medications right now that save lives and prolong lives is because companies have decided to invest billions and billions and billions and billions in research and development on a risk, on a one in five risk that it will be a a useful drug to society. I get that. That's just how things are working. But we need to not have blinders on with marijuana and understand that it is the same thing. There is this motivation that's not about peace, love, and equality where it was in the 60s, where it was about, you know, this is a way to protest the man and all of this. And listen, I understand all that. I, I went to Berkeley as an undergrad, so I get it. Um, yeah. but, but this was not that. This, this is now all about the, the mighty dollar. And um, we're, we are deluding ourselves if we think we can create a legalization system that is about tight regulation, no influence of the industry, public health first, balancing what a, a mer- an adult who wants to smoke a joint now and again could do for this safe way with you know our public safety. We are deluded if we think we can actually create a system like that. We can't. We have never done that. In all of these states, they're all going in the wrong direction. In my book, uh, Smoke Screen, which I just wrote in April, I, 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 I detail in that book, um, you know, the regulates regulations in different states and how, you know, I, I had whistleblowers approach me essentially in different states saying, let me tell you what's really going on here. Let me tell you the licenses that we're approving because we're under pressure to approve them. Let me tell you what we found when we go to some of these places randomly and we don't, we do not um, log it in our books. And my supervisor, one of them said, you know, my supervisor chided me for going to check up on one during my off time. But when I did, they had a complete illegal grow that was had mold and was dangerous to public health. We're not uh, exposing any of that. We're flying on the seat of our pants, these states that, were, that are pretending to do the right thing and understand what they're doing, all because of political expediency and unfortunately because of money. That t- really brushes up against something that I wanted to ask you, and you feel free to plead the fifth because I know you got a lot of cachet and you're you're heavy <laughs> into the policy thing. But can we trust the regulators? Can we can we really trust yeah. the FDA? I know we can trust some individuals within there and some people, you know, these days. I I know some of them in my own state who've resigned because they're morally compromised or they're they're just going home at the end of the night suffering because they're being asked to do things that they didn't sign on for that's that's spooky right can we trust these people or is the, is the system broken do we have to have new people in there like how do how do we get the politics and the money out 
Yeah, well, I'll say there is a difference, and this may be unpopular, between what's happening on state levels with regards to regulating medicines and versus the, fe the federal level and national level. And I'm not saying federal, national always get it right. They certainly don't. I mean, yeah. we've had, you know, problems with drugs that have been approved and look at the opioids and look at, you know, FenFen and look at a lot of things. Yeah. But I have far more faith in that system, which has lar by and large produced safe and effective medications for the United States actually is the gold standard for the world. It doesn't always get it right, but, but usually much more than not gets it right. Far more faith in that system than I do in the systems on the state level, which aren't set up. States do not have FDAs on the state level. Okay. There's no such thing as a state FDA. So why are we letting states regulate something that's been illegal for a hundred years or more um, and that is the drug dealers and the producers are way ahead of their state regulators on the, 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 the regulations and what they want to do. Why would we trust that? I, I, I really, really don't know. So um, I, you know, that's where I fall on this. And I'm much more likely, frankly, to trust the FDA than I am a state regulator that has really never done this before. Does this really come down to... 10th amendment or is there something else going on here? I mean, is it just they're, they're underpowered because they're States and they don't know, you know, state like Nevada is tiny and our budget is yeah. small and we just don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. yeah um, I think the infrastructure is just not there and that's not what States were designed to do. We don't need to have 50 FDAs unless we're going to go back to having an articles of confederation and we're not going to be a Republic. Maybe right. then we would, but why would, why would we do that? That's inefficient. That's not the way our country was founded. We are a Republic. And so I, I do think that this could be unpopular that when it comes to regulation, when it comes to production, when it comes to this, whether you're limiting it or whether you are allowing it for research or whether you're legalizing it on the other end, it needs to frankly, either, I, I hope they, they don't legalize it. I will say obviously, but if these things happen, it almost needs to happen on the federal level, not state by state, because the states are not equipped. And so drug policy is a federal issue. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that I think that, you know, the norms of low level personal use in Berkeley, California, should mimic that of Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm not saying that we have different cultures within our country. I get it. And you certainly don't. It's very difficult to sustain a law in which 90 percent of people are opposed to it and consistently violate it. Right. So you, you have to balance the culture with that. But I'm not talking about low level use. And frankly, let me just be very clear. I don't think people with low level use should be in prison for pot. Thank God they're not as it is. But I think that um, I don't think they should be given a criminal record. I'm not calling for that at all. Um, but I do think we should discourage use. And I don't think we can discourage it if we legalize that. That's where I stand. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, you have you can have different cultural norms and laws when it comes to certain things, low level personal use type things. But when it comes to production, trafficking, distribution marketing, commercialization, that's not a state issue. I'm sorry. That is not a state issue. That is a federal issue. Um, and, you know, it's like if New York and California decide to decided to prohibit alcohol and the other states didn't. Well, that would be very difficult to do. Very right. difficult. Um, and so I don't, I think that right now we're in a purgatory with states going one way. I don't think that the federal government should legalize marijuana, but I think that we should press pause on these states that have legalized. We should assess the damage, you know, or lack of damage thereof. I'm open-minded 
over the next five to 10 years and then make a decision as a society, we're not going to see the outcomes in a few years. It's going to take 10 to 20 years, frankly, to see the true outcomes of this. This isn't meth. This is marijuana. It manifests itself differently. It's going to take some time and we need to be rational about it. But, you know, politics is not a 20 year horizon. It's a it's a 20 week horizon. And so that's why we've seen kind of this rush. Yeah. And, and neither is corporate profits, right? I mean, quarter four right. still has to perform right. and we can't press pause and let quarter four be, of this year be the same as the next 20 right. quarters while we wait uh, because the, the boards of directors won't allow that to happen. And certainly you mentioned yeah. the politicians, you know, there's, there's elections <laughs> sooner than that. That's so right. want to, you know, get promoted right. into office. And, so and speaking, speak, I just want to say one more thing, speaking of politicians and elections, we should also people to do their research and see who was on the board of these pot companies and who's making money. And you will not be surprised to know that everybody advocating for this in Congress, when they leave Congress, they go work for a pot company. They yeah. go, they go work for an advisory, they get a board seat. Um, you know, they're playing this game and it's just, I'm sorry to see, especially, you know, it's one thing when I see, the Silicon Valley type guys that are like, yeah, that's what this is about. We're open about it. This is capitalism and we're doing it and you're legalizing it. So sorry, that's what we're doing. Okay. That bothers me on one level. You know, what, what kills me is when I see these 18 or 19 year old birdie bros that, you know, want the quality of social equality, the elimination of extremes of wealth and poverty, less influence of the big banks, healthcare for all and legalized pot. And I, you know, that actually irks me more than the Silicon Valley dude making a ton of money on this because clearly they are being duped by, you know, these forces and they're being duped by this idea that somehow legal pot will bring social equality or, or is a good thing. You know, the, the, the imprisonment rate has not been reduced in legalized states. The arrest rate, um, we're still arresting blacks and Latinos at a far, yeah, no, because people are not in prison for smoking weed. I mean, that's not our main reason. They're there for weed and 20 other things. Is that um, just a, is that just not. a trope then? Like, what? yes, of course it is. Huh. Of course it is. It's a way to, um, you know, get people, you know, looped into this to say, well, you know, don't you want legal weed? It'll bring up, it'll bring about social justice when in reality it, it won't. Um, and so we have not seen social justice in these places, by the way, who's making money off legal weed. It's guys that look like you and me, Jake, it's not black and Latino population. So it's just, it's a whole farce. And so that, that bothers me more. I have an anecdote by the way, about Bernie Sanders when I met him and talked to him about this in my book that I won't spoil right now, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Yeah, definitely buy Kevin's book. It's called smoke screen. We love to plug people's uh, publications and their, their other members. Um, so specifically the marketing to the children, cause I really want to cover this. Um, yeah. I know, I know what I'm saying. I know the fruit loop flavored blah, blah, blahs and, and vaping is now, it's, it, it's, the popularity is staggering. Um, I work a lot with schools, um, work, work a lot with school-based mental health and, um, kids are, kids are just bringing it into the schools. It's like, um, smoking in the vo- boys room has now become vaping in the classroom and it's, the teachers are virtually powerless to do anything about it because the parents are all up in arms and school administrators are kind of collectively stuffing their hands in their pockets and whistling and turning the other way. Um, so to me, and, and this may be more the, the autonomy focus that I, that I pushed the, the Liberty mindset of like, 
we need to emphasize education, not restriction, because restriction just doesn't work more often than it does. How do we get the education out to parents and to children to be wary of how their brains are being primed with the advertising and the packaging? Yeah, well, we have to we have to educate a whole new parental generation. This parental generation, you know, used a little bit of weed, not not even that much, um, tried it in college, like you mentioned. And it was a very different product and they have no idea about this kind of stuff that's out there. Well, they so, probably do it themselves too, right? They're buying the gummies themselves. Cause it's often they are. Yeah. Cause they're seen as, yeah, absolutely. Reducing anxiety for them and just kind of a way, just like they drink a glass of wine. There's this whole promotion of, of, you know, 420 moms and all this whole thing. They're being celebrated on national television. Yeah. We're in, we're in that era right now. It's, it's extreme. And it's disturbing. more discreet. It's more discreet to eat, you know, take an edible than it is to it is. Uh, spark a joint in your car while you're driving, which I still see, but yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, I don't know how many people are on the, on the roads around me baked. <laughs> no, you're hundred percent right. You're well, well, I will tell you that since you're in a legal state, we know it's much more likely than in a non-legal state because that's mm-hmm. what the data is showing. There's just been these increases. Um, but yeah, no, I think that this is just, uh, we have seen how, you know, th- it is more discreet because, and it's more acceptable because now you have just so many people doing it and it's celebrated on, you know, in Hollywood. And so it is, it is more acceptable to use it. Um, yeah. We're seeing that. We're seeing that completely. What about the argument that uh, we can take the taxes off of it, right. And that'll eliminate the black market and which we know is not true, but in my state, anecdotally, I can tell you that the, the tens of millions of dollars have been generated are just sitting there. They're not, they're not actually making it into the education system. They're not making no. it into prevention programs. What, what do we say to that? Like, can we policy our way out of this or are the forces no, too strong? The, the forces are too strong. And of course you're right. I mean, um, first of all, tax revenue is offset by costs. So Good if you point. do have tax revenue sitting there, how, what are the costs of the driving? You know, we know that it, if you have a car crash, it's about a million dollars a passenger. Uh, what are the other social costs to it? And so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, the black market's not eliminated, the underground market. There's so many, I mean, listen, the underground market can sell the legal products for a lot, for the illegal products for cheaper than the legal taxed product. Right. So you see the underground market all um, thriving in all these places. In fact, just today, there was a huge article in the Seattle Times about what's, or, uh, about what's happening in Washington as well as Oregon with regards to the underground market, also California. I mean, it's huge. So th- those, those guys have not gone away. They've not all become legitimate business people and applied for licenses in, in Vegas. And they're all like selling. They went from being a drug dealer to, to selling, I mean, maybe one or two, but that's not the norm at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, the tax revenue is offset. It's a penny when it, when you look at the overall budget, I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. It is. Uh, and we've had legal pot, legal alcohol and tobacco, and I'm still waiting for those to pay for things that we need in society. And I doubt marijuana will. And I was thinking regulatory costs too. Certainly oh, absolutely. some infrastructure to, to regulate it, but then you still have the same problem of trying to track down the non-regulated ones, uh, you know, the, the criminals, if you will. And if we've decriminalized it, well, then where's the incentive to move from the underground to the above ground? There, there just isn't one. And in fact, I've heard from several circles that they actually, because of all the, the anecdotes you listed with the, with the, the farms that are molding and all that stuff and the overabundance of regulation and the higher cost, they, they actually trust their guy down the street more than they, yeah, they trust do. the shop on the corner. 
Is that is that a they thing? Like, wow. No, they, they they do trust the guy on the down the street more than the shop on the corner because um, they've been going to them. It's cheaper. They don't have to be revealed. It's not in public. Yeah. No, there are a lot of reasons why the underground market is 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 thriving. So we we we've seen that, um, and they're not going away anytime soon. So that's actually an unintended consequence of. Uh, I guess it's so weird. It's like decriminalization plus regulation equals a burgeoning underground well, market. Listen, it does. And listen, if you are going to legalize and you're trying to be doing it in good faith, you need law enforcement. That's the mm. irony. You need a lot of law enforcement. You need, do you know what the number one, this is going to shock. I think out of everything, this might shock your listeners more than any other stat. What is the number one, I'm going to quiz you now, Jake. What is the number one reason for arrest in this country for a drug? Which drug is it? Um, Which chemical that acts on your brain and body is the number one reason related why people are arrested in this country in terms of raw numbers? I'm going to say alcohol. Well, you're right. You're smart. Absolutely. But I think that would shock a lot of people because they would say, well, alcohol is legal. So why are there arrests? Why are there twice as many arrests for alcohol than all drugs combined? Why? Because... Yeah, it's it's well, it's legal, so it's more used. Yeah, it's it's used by way more people. Number one, and you need to enforce alcohol laws. Why? Underage, unregulated liquor laws, public intoxication, and driving while intoxicated. Those categories, according to the FBI, are almost are over two million arrests a year, and so you need enforcement. So there's an irony there when you legalize, oh, we get rid of the cops. Actually, I hate to tell you, you need more. For yeah. DUI, for all of this stuff. Yeah, that's wild. And, I, and I'm thinking, if you if you really want to create social justice along with criminal justice, I'm not a big fan of adjective justice. By the way, I think justice just needs to stand on its own. If it's just, yeah. then it's just. You don't need to describe it. Um, but if we want to tackle those those issues, we need a much more broad based, holistic approach and a, a much deeper conversation. Which again takes time which eats into revenue um, and, and you're, yes. you're flirting with the politics behind it. I mean, I remember it wasn't too long ago, what two legislative sessions ago when um, the, the big liquor distributors made a play for the microbreweries yeah. to try to suppress their production because it was eaten into some of the, the mega profits, but then, but then the distributors were like, wait a minute, you're selling your own product in your shop and we're not getting a cut because we can't transport it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was this big legislative fight and, um, and it hurt a lot of small business owners, which sucked. But it, so there's those dynamics yeah. too, and those forces in the, in the market and in the, in the legislative halls that are, and it's like, how do you even get them to the table when they're just simply not interested in overall public health? They're, they don't even have to interface with it if they're isolated in their gated communities and they're, you know, temples on the, Absolutely. the mountain no you're you're right and but we, we see the alcohol industry in nevada specifically make a ploy for marijuana too uh and so mm-hmm. and then i actually one thing i need to look into is is i know that when the law passed in nevada there was i thought a three-year period where no locality could um, ban marijuana establishments which is really interesting we've never seen that in any other state in fact in every other state that's legalized local localities have actually the majority of localities in that state have banned pot shops uh, because they and they were allowed to in Nevada there was a period where they weren't allowed to but I, that must have expired by now I'm wondering if what localities are going to be doing I think um, uh, it's a little little place I went to on a tiny 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 plane in Nevada during the campaign which um, is n- not going to be ter- oh, my geography it's uh, 
it's not show. I can't remember where it was, um, but I, I think they recently banned it, and there are some other places that are trying to do that. So I think we'll see more of more of that dynamic. Well, so what I've become hip to recently, because we do a lot of work in the rural areas, is that um, the localities can you know put up these bans, but there's the sovereign uh, native reservations that are now well, yeah. latching onto it. And that, that became a big thing about two, two, three years ago where it's like, all right, we just, you live on a res. So we'll just open up the pot shop on the res and then we sell right. from there. And, and the, and unfortunately the, the native American tribes were sold a bill of goods about how they were going to yes. you know take down all this benefit, all this money, and they're going to rehabilitate you know, seniors and children and whatnot. And it turned yeah. out that just ended up the, the carpet got pulled out from under them. They introduced this new drug that was quote unquote legal. And the, the members of the res themselves were finding, well, we're now finding that they're more addicted to a different substance uh, or multiple mm-hmm. substances now. And that's become a real problem in addition to not even getting the money. And then the money gets, you know, gobbled up at the top or whatever. It's, it's a whole yeah. horrible juxtaposition of of what on the surface seemed like a reasonable sales pitch to the community but then there was this uh there was a sleight yeah. of hand that occurred it's super i mean it's, it's just pernicious i don't i don't like yeah, it. it is by the way i remember where i went i remember where, where bad elko elko bandit i was gonna say elko um, yeah and i and some other places too i mean actually rural nevada really has not has not been um, embracing this at all but of course you know when you look at other places like vegas that are you know it's people are wanting to bring not people when i say people politicians you know want to bring it there uh, because it's about tourists and you know it's about again it's about it's about money it's not yep. about what's good for our kids all right in closing and i appreciate your time it's yes. been awesome uh sure. despite the tech foibles um no. Why don't you give a plug for for Sam? You said the birth of sure. Sam earlier, and it sounded like you had a child. You do have a child. Yeah, but, uh, it was. Yes, it was my other child, my first child. Yeah, I mean, Sam, learnaboutsam.org. People can go to. We're happy to help uh, with any specific inquiries. We're probably the top resource on the net for marijuana-related issues. Uh, learnaboutsam.org. Uh, my book, Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know, uh, was released on 420, and that's not a coincidence, <laughs> uh, and uh, is out there for anyone who wants it. And we do training, seminars, you know, speaking, uh, policy, um, academies, et cetera, and we're, we're happy to help. And it's been really fun to talk with you, Jake. I want to thank you again for your work, and um, we should keep up the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, appreciate you all the time that you put into this. It's a it's a really noble cause, even if it's frustrating sometimes. What's the best way for people to reach you or um, follow your work? Do you have a favorite? Well, platform? people can can go to kevinsebet.com, uh, reach me through there. They can email info at learnaboutsam.org. And uh, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we want to be helpful to folks and this issue is not going away. It's getting bigger. Um, ironically, the more states legalize, the more we, we, we normalize this, the more there is a need for our work and for working with all of you. So no, absolutely. I appreciate this. And um, you know, maybe we'll, uh, I don't know how big it is internationally. Noggin Notes for the listening audience, if you're not familiar, we we have a Noggin Notes Cambodia and a Noggin Notes Africa now that have been up and running wow. uh, coming on a year now. And wow. so we may, we may have to address this at an international level. Cause I don't know what's going on in those other communities around the globe, but I got to believe yeah. that what, when it happens somewhere, it's going to happen elsewhere. Um, Absolutely. It does. It does for sure. 
Well, thanks, Kevin. On behalf of our Noggin Notes family and the Zephyr Wellness family, uh, thanks to Kevin Sabet for his time. We wish you all great mental health. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.